The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. I want to say thank you to the church for uh, letting Chrissy and I get away last week. I had the opportunity to preach uh, for a week-long youth camp in Missouri and also to preach at a friend's church back in Missouri, Pastor Jeremy Hostetler, uh, who you've met before. He's preached here for us, so thank you for letting me get away for that. Also, a uh, couple other announcements. Next month, August 25th, it's a Thursday, uh, Chrissy and I are going to be doing something here that we have uh, been wanting to do, but we're unable to do due to COVID. And that's the thing we call potluck with the pastor. It's a, a lunch that we like to put on for the senior saints. And uh, if you ask me what qualifies as a senior, I'll say you make the decision about that. If you think you're a senior, we'd love to have you here. Uh, it's, it, more details to come. And also Wednesday, after the business meeting, weather permitting, we'll... Uh, go around the neighborhoods and just pray for uh, the, the houses that surround our people in the houses that surround our neighborhood and sometimes God presents opportunities to interact with them but uh, if you're interested in going I'd love to have you also the uh, Bill Neighbors uh, has gotten the our golf cart up and running it's street legal so we'll be able to take that if uh, if perhaps that make help you help you be able to go on that uh, outing anyway if you have your Bibles Join me, if you would, in Psalm chapter 29. Psalm 29. Have you guys been paying attention to the news at all lately? It seems like there's storm clouds on the horizon. You look at the situation in the Ukraine where Russia has invaded the Ukraine, and if you've read your Bible or you're a Bible nerd at all, you might be aware that Russia seems to play an important part on the world stage just prior to Christ's return. But then you look around at other countries and we see the people are revolting against their governments. We see all kinds of concerns. We see fuel prices have skyrocketed, which has caused the cost of everything else to skyrocket. And we, we see all kinds of challenges on the horizon, but perhaps it's better to say that the storm is here, and there are more storm clouds on the horizon. We'll look at some of the situation going around our country. We see that the seeds of iniquity that we embraced in the past have borne fruit of unrighteousness. We see things like transvestites being invited to public libraries to speak to children. We see that in some parts of the country, the law is not being enforced. And if you're paying attention, you wonder how much longer the country can go on as it seems to be tearing itself apart at the seams. We have the seemingly every couple years, about every two years, it seems there's a school shooting. And we wonder what kind of world we're going to leave to our children and grandchildren. We see the financial forecast and we wonder if our 401k will be enough. We see all kinds of concerns. The storm clouds are on the horizon it's probably better to say the storm's here and there's more to come. In Psalm 29, the Holy Spirit uses a literal storm to inspire King David to write a, storm, a, a psalm 
to remind us of the glory of God in the midst of life's trials. As he looks out the window, he sees a storm, and that storm is a symbol that represents the so-called God of the Canaanites, Baal, and he remembers his God. And he he pens this psalm, Psalm 29. Let's read verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 11. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many seas. Verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled that your presence is felt in our church. We are grateful for it. We recognize that we don't deserve your grace, but we are so appreciative. I pray this morning for those who are children of God, that if they are going through personal storms, that you would encourage them. I pray for those who perhaps yet have yet to call on the Lord Jesus for salvation, that they would surrender their lives to you. I pray as we go along through the word, you'd be glorified and your people edified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's picture the scene for a moment. Just imagine David is standing in the palace and he gazes out the window to the north and he sees a storm cloud. He sees that lightning flashes across the sky. It it turns darkness into daylight perhaps and the thunder booms and it shakes the mountains. It shakes the wilderness and he sees all that's going on and he remembers the glory of his God. I wonder what was on his mind that day as he calls heaven and earth to surrender to God and give him worship. Had the Canaanites begun to marshal their forces against Israel? They were a constant threat to the peace and stability of Israel. Had they begun to form new alliances and now David is concerned? Has David perhaps had some political missteps and he fears what will come? Perhaps it's moral. Perhaps it's something closer to home. Perhaps he fears a crop failure because the rain hasn't come. Perhaps travel around the Fertile Crescent has become more difficult and this is having an economic turmoil for them. Perhaps it's more personal. Whatever the case may be, I wonder what was on David's head and heart. For indeed, heavy is the head that wears the crown. This psalm is particularly well suited for the children of God as we face storms. Because it encourages us by reminding us of the glory of our God. And it gives us advice, guidance really, about how to deal with the storms of life. First thing it wants us to see, that David wants us to see, the Holy Spirit wants us to see, is that God alone is the Lord of heaven. Look at verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So this is a solemn call to glorify God amidst the storms because of his conquering power. The call to worship the Lord is appropriate because he alone is the Lord. The Lord, not Baal, nor man, nor fate, nor bad luck, nor storms are sovereign. 
Yahweh is the Lord. Not your boss, not your ex, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, none of those things are sovereign. The Lord is God. But we must also define some terms in here if we are going to know what the Spirit is trying to understand or trying to communicate to us. Who in the world are these heavenly beings mentioned in verse 1? If you have a King James, it says, ye mighty. The literal Hebrew is b'nai elim, which is sons of God. This is not the first time it shows up. It shows up in the book of Genesis, this, this term. And in case you just kind of to set your mind just to remember, here's what's going on in the book of Genesis right before Noah's flood. Wickedness has grown rampant on earth. And we see this, apparently the sons of God, and who exactly they are, that's somewhat debated, but it seems to be spiritual beings, most likely fallen demons, have taken notice of the children, the daughters of men, and have begun to fornicate with them and have children called the Nephilim. And so in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, we see this report. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, Bene Elim, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his, he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every inclination of his thoughts, of his heart, was only, only wickedness all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and <clears throat> birds of the, of the heavens, and I am, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So as you know, the story goes on. God tells him, hey, make a boat. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your kids. But I'm going to destroy all of the wickedness of the land. See that in Genesis 6, God had had it up to here with humans. And the straw that broke the camel's back was this relationship between demonic forces and the daughters of men. I don't understand, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't understand how that all works out precisely. But I know the text is rather, text is rather straightforward. And what David wants us to see that the, is that the Lord, not Baal, is the God of the storm. Because when God said the storm was coming, here's what he says in chapter 7, verse 1 of Genesis. He said, I will send rain. In other words, the Lord is the one who sent the judgment. The Lord is God of the storm. So this is what God, what God the Spirit is, in, is communicating to us. The Lord Jesus walks on water in the midst of storm. He silences them at a command. And I would say here's an application point. When you see storms on the horizon, don't glorify the storms above the Lord. He is the one who is sovereign. Not the storms, not Baal, not, not man, none of it. They do have power, but their power is not ultimate. They may be bigger than you, but they are not bigger than the Lord. So do not magnify the storms of life above the Lord. David saw the storms. 
coming, and it reminded him that God was in control. Not Baal, not the Canaanites, not the pagans who apparently seem to be running our government these days. God is in control. Second thing I want us to see is that it talks about glory. It says, it says, ascribe glory to him. Give him glory as in worship. What is glory? Glory is the character of God, his strength, his power, his holiness, his judgment on display. And then when people recognize who God is and they start proclaiming how glorious he is, that too is glory. So Psalm 29, the Holy Spirit is calling heaven and earth to recognize and declare the glory of God. He is literally looking at the storms and he says, Hey, Baal, you're not really a God, you're just a demon. Submit to the Lord. Ascribe glory to his name. He is literally saying, like the Lord said in the prayer, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Later in the psalm, he says, he reminds as he's writing this, that in the temple, the people cry glory. So he sees the spiritual forces that are demonic, that are at work, and he says, the Lord is God. Worship him. How do we do that? It says to worship him in the splendor of holiness. So how would we do that? According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, when you believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, you were clothed in the splendor of his righteousness. This morning I put on a suit and tie. In a similar manner, when you got saved, Christ Jesus clothed you with his righteousness. And so now when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You might say that you are clothed in the splendor of Christ's holiness. You are holy to the Lord, so rejoice in hope of the glory of God when the storms come. Even when the storms come, we still sit under the, the friendly skies. A.W. Tozer once wrote that the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we live under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. When you think about the idea that the God of heaven, exalted in power, wants to be friends with sinners like you and me, that's a picture of grace, which defines our relationship. Before Christ came into our life, before we put our trust in him and were saved, our relationship was characterized by one word, hostility. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the hostility is gone. The wrath has been removed, and now we stand in grace and have peace with God our Father. Beloved, because of your faith in Christ, you live under a friendly sky. And you know this, we know this. But so often when the storms cl storm clouds come, we doubt that God is greater than the storms. So often we magnify the storms above the Lord. And I think the Holy Spirit is calling us to magnify, to glorify the Lord above the storms. Tonight, if you turn on Fox or CNN or listen to somebody grumbling about the state of the world, when you hear this, you could live in terror or you can fix your gaze upon the God who is really the Lord. God alone is sovereign. God alone is also the Lord of the earth. Look at verse 3 through 9. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. 
the Lord over many seas. Pause for a second there in verse 3. He moves from a rain cloud, thunder, and then he goes to seas. He's going to, as we look at this, he's going to go from a storm on the horizon to rain clouds now to the sea terminating, and then eventually he gets to the flood, comes back near the end of our psalm. Every year in November, I make mention probably of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald because I like the story. I like the story. I like the song that Gordon Lightfoot wrote. See, what was going on was the Edmund Fitzgerald was making its way to Cleveland and it sunk. And Gordon Lightfoot wrote a song about it. And he has a line in it that says, Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? What had happened during that fateful day was that a storm came in. And the ship was sunk. For the child of God, the storms don't always disappear. The waves don't always cease. But the love of God never goes away. The Lord Jesus said he will never leave us or forsake us. Verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were well known for their, for their strength and their size. And so when the storm comes, trees are splintered and felled. Verse, verse 6, He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. He's talking about mountains. And so as the thunder rolls in, the ground starts to shake. The mountains are, shaked, are shaken because the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord shake, flashes forth flames of fire, verse 7 says. He's depicting lightning. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, voice, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. He's talking there about premature birth. And it strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord alone is the Lord of heaven and earth. And when he speaks, things happen. Thunder and lightning reveal the power of the Lord's voice. Bark was ripped off of trees. Mighty cedars felled. Lightning flashes across the sky. Can you imagine the scene? It's dark. Lightning lights up the sky and it looks like noonday. I think that's kind of what David saw on the horizon. The does were startled by the sound and gave birth prematurely. And there is his voice hovering over the raging sea. Psalm 19.1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God. And when I hear that psalm, I usually think of beautiful mountain scenes and lilies and butterflies, but I think David sees the thunderstorm and says he's also the God of the storm. Glory. When the Lord speaks, things happen. He spoke into the darkness and the universe sprang into existence from nothing. When he spoke to Moses from the bush, a nation was rescued. When he spoke to Lazarus, he came forth from the grave. And when you got saved, it was because the sovereign Lord summoned you to eternal life from spiritual death. The same Lord who summoned you from eternal death to eternal life said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's still true even when the storm clouds have come. When the storms rage, listen for the voice of your Lord. He won't be hard to hear because he is the only voice that is sovereign. He is the only one who is truly in control. When you see storm clouds on the horizon, literal or figurative, remember your God 
and cry glory. When life seems to be on a collision course with disaster, remember your God and rejoice in hope of the glory of God because He alone is Lord of heaven and earth. And in verse 10 and 11, we see that God alone is the sovereign Lord. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. The glorious power of the Sovereign Lord was demonstrated in the flood. And when He, dem when he judged man and demons, He said, I will send rain. Storm clouds came. For the child of God, we have this unbelievable hope, not that there will never be storm clouds, not that there will never be tempests, not that, this, not that the waves will never churn, but our hope is in the glory of God to save us. For the child of God, even death has lost its sting. So we hope and rejoice in the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is calling heaven and earth to recognize and declare the glory of God. When we do that, when we glorify God amidst the storms, it doesn't always change the circumstances. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says something does change. When we behold the glory of God, it says that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. One of the things I think that's hurt the church is that when storm clouds are on the horizon, we wring our hands, we point fingers, maybe rightfully so, and we look to certain powerful figures to fix everything. And I suppose there's room for that. But for the child of God, wringing hands, pointing fingers is probably not the right place to start. It is to fix our eyes on the glory of God. And that is what David is calling us to do. When I was in Ellington, or I'm sorry, Hermitage, I was serving as the youth pastor. I've probably been there two, three weeks, something like that. And... Uh, Heard tornado sirens. Missouri is Tornado Alley, in case you didn't know. It's part of Tornado Alley. And I go outside, and First Baptist Church in Hermitage is on a, a ridge. There's a valley, and then there's another ridge, and I look out over the ridge, and there's clouds circling. And I thought, this, maybe this is a tornado. Cleveland, you don't see those, really. And then I look down the street as the tornado sirens are going, and people are running towards the church. And I didn't know what was going on. I was, what in the world's going? Pastor Jeremy hadn't told me what to do in that situation. Because in that situation, First Baptist Church of Hermitage is a tornado shelter. I didn't know that in the moment. And all of a sudden, all these people show up, and they start opening up the doors, and they file in. They know right where to go in the basement of the church. In the basement of the church where we all gathered during this tornado storm, there was one lady who was kind of coming unglued in terror because of the noise and the storm clouds. And there was one lady that stepped forward. I'm like, I'm sitting there like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do with this? They don't teach you how to solve this problem in Bible college. Have they said anything about tornadoes? And Okay, not a, Pastor Rob hasn't heard it either. One lady did something the Bible college probably couldn't teach you, but walking with the Lord could. She stepped forward and said, why don't we right now just pause and pray? And she led us in prayer. 
I wouldn't say that all the fear left the room, but the lady who was coming unglued started to settle down, which was settling other people down. In that moment, in the midst of the storm, the lady, what she was really doing was calling us to fix our gaze upon God, who is really the only hope in the midst of a storm. That's true in a little literal storm, but also in a figurative storm. Rejoicing in the glory of God may not change your forecast, but it will change you. You'll be transformed. It will give you strength and peace, which is what the psalm prays for at the end. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God when storms are on the horizon will also give hope to others. Our children, they see how we respond when the storms of life roll in. Do we have rock-ribbed faith in the glory of God and the strength of our Savior, or are we angry and afraid? The psalm calls for us to fix our gaze upon our, gaze upon our God and glorify Him. Even unbelievers who see what's going on recognize that something is wrong in our world. Something has gone sideways. And if they look to the church, to the children of God, do they see people angry or do they see people glorifying God because they know, we know, that our Savior is strong. See, when we as children of God glorify God, even in the midst of storms, it doesn't necessarily make the storms disappear. We're not talking about pie in the sky. This is real life where people die, where storms happen, where tornadoes and hurricanes and all these sorts of things. But when we, as the children of God, step back and say, this is a real problem, but I know our God is glorious. I know that this doesn't end in death. And even if it does end in death, I, I have hope in the glory of God, that I will be resurrected because our Lord Jesus was resurrected. Make no mistake, when the children of God are strengthened by fixating on the glory of God, our children are encouraged, our neighbors are encouraged, our coworkers are encouraged, and perhaps lost people, those who don't know Jesus really, recognize that there's something special that the child of God has. So when storms come, don't magnify them above the Lord, but rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8.35. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Storms. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. David sounds a whole lot like a conqueror in Psalm 29. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know that for those who love God, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Ask David. He'll tell you. Ask Noah. He'll tell you. When the storms of life come, and they will, oftentimes that could be God trying to get our attention. 
C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pains. The storms. In America, we are a very, very blessed country, are we not? I heard a missionary to Haiti during the camp, and he described this situation in Haiti. He said that there were, at one point not terribly long ago, 10,000 Haitians living under a bridge in Texas because they had made their way all the way through South America, through Central America, through Mexico, and into the border. And he said something very interesting. When the government sent them back, he didn't take a position on whether they should or shouldn't have done that. He said, you know, I th- they sent them back to Haiti. And he said, they put their hope in the wrong thing. They put their g- hope in the glory of America. I think sometimes as Christians, while we are blessed to have this place, we must remember that our true hope is in the glory of God. And perhaps the storms are simply serving to remind us where our true hope lies, where our true citizenship lies. Perhaps it's to revive our zeal as children of God. If you've been paying any attention to the condition of the church in the United States, oh, there are examples of strong faith, but there is, in many ways, it seems like we've gotten drowsy. Drowsy. And perhaps the storms that we are enduring will serve to wake us up to the glory of God. This morning, when I came in, Don and I prayed together like we do every Sunday. Or Bob and I, sorry. Bob Donnelly. Called Don accidentally. Bob and I prayed like we always do. And he said, what should we pray for? And I said, well, I have two basic hopes. That the children of God who are going through storms would remember that God is greater than the storms. And so perhaps as we come to our song of response at the end here, our last song, for the children of God, we would turn our gaze to Jesus and worship him in the midst of the storms. It might not make the storm clouds go away, but it will transform us and give us hope. Finally, perhaps this morning you're just like all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, there are storm clouds on the horizon. And perhaps God is using those to get your attention. Perhaps you've heard the truth about Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He lives a sinless life, dies on the cross, and is raised again on the third day. That's great stuff, and it's wonderful, and it's true. But it doesn't do you any good if until you put your trust in Jesus Christ through, saving, through faith. <clears throat> and this morning, if you'd like to turn from sin and turn to Jesus in faith and give your life to him, perhaps this morning the storm is the very thing that God would use to direct your attention to Jesus, that you might put your trust in him. As Chad comes for our song of response, if you'd like to call on Jesus for salvation, make your way to the front. I want to help you call on the Lord Jesus, help you know what it means to follow him in faith. Or perhaps you're a child of God, you, you know him, but maybe you need prayer, prayer for some specific thing. I'm here to pray too. Please stand for our song of response.
You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.